You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. It's third and final hour of Miller and Moulton on this Thursday, along the network anyway. The Diamond District Bonus Hour is an hour away. Bob Pockrass will join us live from Daytona in a little more than 30 minutes. Hey, um, do you two have something to write with and a notepad? Yes. Always. Sorry to uh, do this to you live on the air. It's part of my charm. Are we taking a test? No, not a test. Just doing some math here. We got into how it is that college sports is going to rein in the wild, wild west. We are of the belief that the only way they can do it is to turn the athletes into employees and to bring a salary structure, to just look at the players. And yes, the players in theory are going to have to unionize. Do you know how hard that's going to be? It will be hard just to get athletes at the same school to agree to form a bargaining unit and to trust one entity to bargain on their behalf. That's just at Gainesville. Now you want to bring Tallahassee and Coral Gables and all the other schools into it? I mean, what Marvin Miller did in baseball 55 years ago, well, you had 700 players. Well, you got 700 athletes at Florida. Never mind all the other schools. I mean, I'm telling you, it's going to be really difficult for the athletes, I think, to get there together. It's another reason why I'm telling you, if I'm college athletics, I want to force them to be employees. I think they'll run around with five years not knowing which way is north and which way is south. I think that colleges and the leagues will just manhandle the players in negotiations, honestly. And when the athletes, if they try to strike, they'll look at them and go, we'll get people look just like you to replace you. I got an interesting question on the text line, or an interesting statement, I should say. And a few others have said similar things. So thank you for all the text at 21,000. It says, even if you cap it and make them employees, what prevents them from going out and getting NIL deals still and having collectives and all that like we still have now? It's a, it's a very fair question, David. I, it, it, it is. Because obviously don't. the Supreme Court has said these guys, the name, image, and likeness doesn't go, even if what you're saying happens, name, image, and likeness doesn't go away per se. But this is the Supreme Court ruling on them as quote-unquote student athletes. This is not the Supreme Court ruling on them as employees. The rules are very different. I don't think they win in front of the Supreme Court if they're employees. No, but David, if they're employees, they can still go and get a sponsorship deal. Well, they can, they can get a side sponsorship deal if you allow them to. What do you mean if, if you, you allow them to? If you allow them to. You can have rules that say that they can't, but yes, fine. Go get a side sponsorship deal. Fine. I, I Mark, I think there's only so much. They can, are not controlling anything right now. Okay, if I'm running college athletics, I got to get some control again. Okay, and fine, if they can, I don't care if the kid makes $20 million. I don't. I just want college sports as a whole to be able to go forward together in a positive way. Let's do some math. There's roughly 500 
athletes at the University of Florida. Okay. How much money would you need in a pool that you think would satisfy them that they're like, yeah, we can live with this. How about this? Oh, we'll just go football. 75 guys make 100000 And then 10 guys, either you don't count them against the cap. You treat it like Social Security. It's not a part of the budget. You know, the quarterback, whatever. Go get what you can. Or you say that, you know, here we go. Wait, I don't know. What do you do? 10 million bucks for those 10 guys? Yeah, that, that that's the opera so so basically your budget for the football team is 17 and a half million 75 guys are gonna make a hundred thousand dollars and the other 10 guys I got 10 million okay knock yourselves out negotiating and yes that means if I give the quarterback a million and a half mm, you got the other 90 aren't gonna average a million bucks do you think that do you think I'm just talking the University of Florida. If I sat them in the room, do you think that they'd live with a $17.5 million cap on football for the team? 100000 for 75 guys. All right. 10 guys, $10 million. We'll divvy it up however we divvy it up. That's – it seems about the right number. Because and I I just you said you know five hundred athletes there I just you know forty thousand an athlete just as a base pay for everybody it's twenty million dollars. Well, I, I, let's but, just do football. I, but just football, and I'm like that. I don't know if that's enough for the football team. So I I think you're right. I I think your numbers are reasonable. Okay, let's just say I'm in the ballpark. Now let's talk about the other four hundred or so athletes at Florida. Uh, the only other sport, by the way, in Florida that makes money is baseball, is men's basketball. Baseball loses $2 bucks. All the other sports lose money. The only two profitable sports at the University of Florida are men's basketball and football. So I do think as a university, you could hold that over. You know, here's the other thing. See, baseball, the dirty little secret is not all 30 guys have scholarships. They divvy up scholarships. Guys have one-third scholarships, a half a scholarship. It's rare even that you can get a full scholarship to play baseball, even at a major university, because they only have like 13 scholarships to give away for the whole team. They literally divvy up scholarships. So if you look at all of them and say, you're all going to get paid, okay, I'm telling you, even $50,000, okay, as a team, you know, times 30, that's 1.5 million. If that's not enough, oh, okay, I don't know, double it, 100,000 a team. But my thought is, Mark, we have to have, you got football, it's its own entity. Men's basketball makes money a lot of places. Let's just say, by the way, you pick, then they get one women's sport that they can treat the same way they treat men's basketball in terms of salaries, whatever that sport is on campus where the average player makes $100,000 in those two sports, then in all the other sports, you make 50 grand. Golf, tennis, track and field, the whole deal, it's 50 grand. By the way, benefits, 50 grand benefits. I think you'd break these universities. I don't, I, I don't think you they do? could. Yeah. I actually think you'd control revenue. Okay, I think basically you'd spend $40 David million. 
before $40 that million dollars. before that happens, I think eighty percent of the sports would turn club at universities before what you're saying happens. It's possible. It's possible the Olympic sports at a lot of these places become club sports. It's possible. I And I have to admit, I wish I knew. I don't know what the Title IX ramifications are here. I don't know if we go this route, whether Title IX still has to be enforced or whether or not Title IX now completely doesn't exist. I, I figure it's got to be one or the other. I'm operating under the assumption that we have to keep on keeping on the way it is. Most major universities, Mark, have between 17 and like 22 sports. I think Florida's got 18 or 19. And they all have more women's sports than men's sports because you have to have an equal number of scholarships. And football takes up so many scholarships. And most of you know this. But football takes up so many scholarships that to equal that out, you'll have three women's sports to combat football. But I think if we did the math, the way that we pawned it out here, I think it'd be about $40 million on athlete salaries at a place like the University of Florida. They're not $40 making $40 million dollars a year in their athletic department, are they? Do you know how much money the University of Florida Athletic Department generates? Yeah, I do, but I don't – are they making – I mean, because how many profitable athletic well, departments are there in the country? Well, I understand, but see, to me, you just operate under the budget. First thing, what what is the big complaint right now? We can't control expenses. And also, Mark, what's unsustainable? It's unsustainable for the fans. Let me get this straight. We have to buy the tickets. We have to buy the suites. Okay. And we have to fund the players. We have to privately come up with the money, the boosters. We have to fund them. You guys aren't. You guys with the the TV deals that you have. You guys with the signage in the stadiums. You don't have to finance anything. We have to finance it. We have to pay for the tickets. By the way, in theory, we also have to produce the athletes. You know, we got to procreate and raise the athletes and give them to you. Okay. And then we have to pay for them. And we have to pay for my neighbor's athletes too. I mean, how much money do you think we have? You're the ones with the TV contracts. You're the ones with the signage. You're the ones with the ticket revenue. I got to pay for the athletes. (laughs) Come on now. And, you know, what would be fascinating to me to find out, to get truth serum of the university presidents and the ADs, because the football coaches hate this, David. They don't like the wild, wild west and how they're competing for players and what they're getting. Do the universities really and truly have a problem with it? Right? The universities who are still swimming in the money that they're getting and still getting free labor because they're not paying for it. Many believe that the free ride's about to end. That what I just articulated is what they're getting from their boosters of like, you know, we don't have enough money. Don't tell me that the price for that five-star quarterback's going up. I had to, I had to take money out of my private business just to pay for the last five-star quarterback. And now that he transferred to our arch rival, I got to pay for another one. I got to pay half a million more just for a year. And hope he works out. And then the price is only going to go up. It's unsustainable. It is. There's already a backlash. 
I, I'm telling you, in the grand scheme of things, like the University of Florida, I believe, raised about $170 million in revenue through sports last year. Now they broke even. They run it. The University of Florida many times has run at a profit, and they've given money back to the general university. And the University of Florida is one of the five best athletic departments in the country. Correct. Correct. And that's why so 40 when, years, you, when you're talking about Florida, we're talking about right. an anomaly in college sports, not the norm. Right. That, that's right. I mean, UCLA, Stanford, Florida, Texas. I mean, those are, in terms of top to bottom of the athletic departments, those are the elite departments in the country. Mark, I got to tell you, if you mean to tell me I can run my 20 sports for 40 million bucks in salaries, I can do that. By the way, you know what it also might mean going forward, Mark? At some point here soon, coaches' salaries are going to have to go down. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. 21 minutes past the hour, Bob Pockrass, live from Daytona in a little more than 15 minutes. The front row is set. Joey Logano, Michael McDowell, rest of the field gets established tonight. The two duels, the twin 150s, 7 and 845, I believe. They're expected to start FS1 is where you go if you are interested. Um, just very quickly, wrapping up what we were talking about, and then I want to move on to something else. So don't you think if they come up with whatever system they're coming up with where there's some, I don't know, bumpers, kind of like when you go bowling and you got bumpers on the side? I some love sort of, those. Do you? Makes it a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> would have been great when really, I was. You know what? I would never use them as an adult, but they. You know what they're great for? Like the kids' bowling party. Instead sure. of instead of them just throwing gutter balls the whole day, they get they get right. to hit some pins. A lot more action for the kids. No doubt about it. That's why they came up with them. So I mean, don't you think that that's at the very least what Sankey and Petiti are going to try to do? Is now right now it, there's gutters on both sides, and in fact balls are bouncing from lane to lane. Even it is what it feels like, whether they are or not. That's what it feels like. You, that you're bowling in lane nine, and you don't know if you're safe from lanes eight and ten. That at the very least, that's what they're going to try to do: come up with bumpers on the sides and say, "Okay, let's let's bring college athletics." Here we go. All right. There's going to be no gutters and, you know, we're going to knock down pins and we're going forward with this. It's going to be a good experience for as many as possible. But don't you think that we're going to, I mean, we have the haves and the have nots now. College football, Mark, has never had a bigger difference between haves and have nots than all the other sports. We joke all the time. We read the 1977 AP top 10 in college football, and we read the 2023 AP top 10, and seven of the 10 are the same. It's the way it is in college football. It's been dominated by a few for generations. So that's likely, and they're, in most cases, they're the ones who still have the money and the support. And the power. And... I hope, I'm hopeful that they put some bumpers on it, David. But I still believe that university presidents will fight this employee thing as long as they can. Mark, I think it, I really believe it's going to be like the NFL with gambling. 
They fought it. They fought it. They fought it. They threatened to kick Tony Romo out of the league if he did a fantasy football summit in Vegas. Four years later, the Raiders were playing there. Two years later, they announced the Super Bowl was coming. I think when colleges and leagues and schools, when they turn on this, they are not going to turn on a dime. They're going to turn on a manhole cover. They are going to change their tune so quickly. And I'm telling you, they're going to catch the athletes off guard. And they're going to have to get their act together. And they're not going to be able to get their act together. Not even going to be able to get their act together within their own teams, never mind their own schools, never mind their own leagues, never mind in the country. And I think these colleges and these leagues are going to start, they will financially walk all over these kids until these kids take about five years to figure out what the hell is going on. They're going to have to put some hardcore rules in place to do it. Because the rogue boosters at certain schools will still not stop wanting to pay. That's no doubt. No doubt. That's the problem they'll have going forward. But that's been a problem, you know, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, no, you're right. You know, I mean, the guys have been getting cash in a brown paper bag, you know, since the 60s. It's going to, at the same places. By the way, in the last 55 years, how many national championships has Ohio State won in football? Two. Ohio State. Ohio State, they have trouble getting players. They got money problems. 55 years, two. And they're really good every year, every year. How many down years out of 55 has Ohio State had? Four? I mean, I'm just saying. It's like the Dodgers. You know how many World Series the Dodgers have won in the last 40 years? Two. One in the pandemic season. Doesn't mean the others can't compete. I mean, seriously, last 40 years, Marlins and the Dodgers had the same number of World Series titles. All right. You mentioned something during the break. I promise I'll get them on in the next six weeks. Vern's retiring. Masters number 40 for Vern Lundquist, and that will be it. His first one, I believe, was 83. He left CBS for a couple years. He went to TNT to do Sunday night football with Mark May and Kevin Kiley. As he said, I was tired of being a number two. I wanted to be a number one. I was the guy. Then after a couple years, I said, eh, number two at CBS ain't so bad. And so I think he missed two masters. That's why I think this would have been 42, but he missed two. So this year coming up is 40. That is officially the end of an era. Whew. He's 83 years old. He's actually in better health now than he was a few years ago. He's lost weight. All right. He looks and uh, sounds better, actually, than when I saw him a few years ago. So... He's looking forward to this. He knew a year. He knew before last year's Masters that he was retiring after this year's Masters. He he had done the math and he said, "Yeah, I want to do 40. And the Masters would have him back until he couldn't show up. Totally. In fact, they would AI his voice and have him even after he passed. Okay, still calling hole six and sixteen. Absolutely. 
It's funny, for all of the Masters that Summerall did on the 18th Tower and Nance did on the 18th Tower, are there anybody's calls at the Masters that we remember outside of Vern's? No. I mean, I I remember Nance's call of Phil making the putt on 18. Mm-hmm. But it's not the chip from Tiger. It's not the putt from Jack. Which was on 17 in 86. And then he gets moved to 16. You know, I remember Norman's collapse. Norman snap hooks an iron into the drink on 16. And Vern waits about three seconds and says, matter of factly, well, that completes one of the biggest collapses we've seen in major championship golf. <sighs> Ouch. Yeah, then obviously the chip in 05 in your life. Have you ever seen anything like it? Oh, wow. Oh. When uh, it was Vern's final year of doing the SEC, which was 2016, we did a game in Athens. In fact, I believe it was the game that Jawan Jennings caught the Hail Mary. I believe it was the Georgia-Tennessee game. And at halftime, the Georgia band played a song, and they dedicated it to Vern, and they mapped out Yes, Sir on the field as an ode to Vern. Something you don't think the Ohio State band could pull off. I don't know. Especially if Jack were to come out and dot the I. Exactly. But, so yes, end of an era. Vern, it'll be his last Masters. And that's all he's done here the last couple of years. He stopped doing the PGA um, right around the pandemic. And so, obviously, he did his last college football game in 2016, Army-Navy. And um, so, Vern will retire, and this will be his last Masters. Off on a year-long cruise this time. <laughs> he may just disappear on a cruise ship. Hey, Vern, what do you do on those cruises? Uh, they asked me to just be Vern Lundquist. He, apparently, I'm pretty good at it, he said. <laughs> uh, great man. Terrific life. We wish him the best. We'll have mom before the Masters, I promise. Bob Pockrass is next. You're listening to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes before the hour, final segment along the network. The Diamond District bonus hour awaits for the 239 at the top of the hour. It's great to be talking NASCAR with Bob Pockrass once again. He does a terrific job of covering the sport for Fox. You can follow Bob on Twix, Twitter slash X at Bob Pockrass, P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. Bob, it's David and Mark. Thanks for doing this again. How are you? Doing great here at Daytona International Speedway, getting ready for... Hopefully some incredible action tonight with the duels on at 7 p.m. on FS1. Joey Logano, by the way, captured the pole last night. He puts Penske in a Ford on the pole. Michael McDowell will be outside of row one with him. Bob, in the last 10 years, Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Jr., Tony Stewart, now Kevin Harvick, all walking away. And yet the sport feels like it's not in a good place. It's in a really good place. Yeah, well, it, it took a little bit of time, but obviously you can see the emergence of new stars. You know, Chase Elliott has always had the popularity, 
and now there's other drivers joining him. Ryan Blaney winning the championship last year, Ross Chastain making making no friends, but uh, <laughs> certainly providing excitement. And you know, the, with uh, and now with you know incredible sponsorship that he has, you know, who knows uh, what what the limit is for your guy Ross. So. You, you just have a lot of young guys who are now coming into their own. And I think people are, you know, have interest in them. Can Ross change, or is that the driver that he is? I mean, can he? I don't know if "grow up" is the right word, but you said doesn't make any friends out there. Can he continue with that type of race style and be successful, or does he have to change? I think he can have the style of "I don't need to have many friends out there." I think he can change, and he, he has shown you know, at times, you know, that he has been able to do this, that, you know, pick his spot when not to make friends. <laughs> right. Uh, and so I think that, uh, that is, is the key for him. You know, if you're running racing for a win and you make a mistake or something happens, it's a lot easier to understand if the guy didn't do the same thing on lap 30 a month ago or two months ago. And so I just think he needs to, um, you know, just make sure that he picks his spots when he is going to make those aggressive moves. Bob, I don't want to say that, you know, Ross started a trend or the other drivers followed Ross, but, you know, he hasn't been the only guy in the last two seasons that hasn't had a problem moving somebody or taking somebody out even down the stretch. I mean, some of the bigger names in the sport have raced like Chastain to win races and even win a championship in the last couple years. I mean, it seems as if, I don't know, when the other drivers saw how the fans reacted to Chastain, maybe it gave them the freedom to, well, this isn't going to hurt me, if you know what I mean. Well, I think that you know the the rules or the 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 line of what's acceptable and what's not consistently changes in this sport. And you know, you used to hear drivers uh, talk about the give and take if somebody was faster than you to uh, to just let them by. But now with this style of racing, with stage points uh, involved, especially you you maybe you don't just wave somebody by if it's a hard place to get around someone. And, you know, you might not get that favor back, but that's, that's just kind of the, the style that it is. And it's the style that a lot of these drivers now have in Xfinity and trucks where they're, you know, they, those are a little bit, I'm going to call them sprint races, but they're shorter races. And, you know, from drop of the green flag, it's hammered down, time to go. And, you know, <laughs> take, take more and ask for forgiveness later. Well, it's... On the whole, that sounds like a positive, though. More guys racing each other hard, more competitiveness, guys willing to take a few more chances. These all sound like positives to the sport, are they? I think so, for for, for sure. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's something – I mean, you want drivers to be aggressive. You want drivers to not to not have friends out there, right? You want them to, to you know, treat everyone like uh, – like, like they, they, I don't say dislike them, but that, you know, that they're not going to give anybody a break. It just, you know, over a 38 race season, you know, the driver has to kind of 
make his or her choices so that you know that if you're in that other position that the person that you just <laughs> roughed up a little bit, that you're probably going to get back. And I think it's, it, it's good as long as it doesn't uh, go over uh, a line of, of just, you know, intentionally wrecking and maybe kind of what you saw if you watched the truck uh, finale at Phoenix last year. He's Bob Pockrass. We're talking NASCAR. He's joining us live from Daytona. Front row is set. Joey Logano, Michael McDowell. The field gets filled out tonight with twin races at 7 and 8.45 is when they're scheduled to start on FS1. You can follow Bob on Twitch, Twitter slash X at Bob Pockrass, P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. All right, you got somebody who's, you know, been a good driver. Uh, made the playoff maybe, but hasn't been thought of as a championship contender in which you think him, his team, you know, like like our buddy Ross, you know, three years ago, he, he was that guy. And then now, you know, Ross is a championship contender. Is there a guy that you think's ready to make the jump and be a championship contender? Ooh, that's a, that's a great question. When you talk about uh, young drivers and talk about emerging drivers, um, I don't, you know, quite frankly, I think it's going to be a, a few years, but I, I would go with, I mean, do you consider Tyler Reddick? Tyler Reddick and Bubba Wallace, to me, would be the ones who are poised to go from drivers who are either winning or contending for wins to drivers who can potentially at least challenge to get in that championship four. Obviously, Reddick made it uh, through the well, you know, I kind of call the semifinal round, round of eight last year. Wallace made it into the second round of the playoffs, uh, 23-11. I think it's just in their just in their fourth year. So you've got to believe that there's even more upside to uh, to what they're doing. And so I would look at those two drivers as one, you know, that you're, you're going to – you would maybe pencil them in as a favorite to win the championship, but it wouldn't surprise you at all if they're if they go to Phoenix – that's one of the four drivers with a shot for the title. And I know it's a crazy race. We never have an idea who's going to win Daytona because so many wild things happen. But the Fords getting the front row. Hendrick had had it, what, eight of the last nine years. How big of a surprise of it was for Logano getting the pole? Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise. You know, Hendrick obviously has owned the pole. And that one year that they didn't, it was a Hendrick engine. <laughs> I want to say in Ricky Stenhouse's car that, uh, that won the pole. So it's... It was a little bit of a surprise. Maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised. I want to say the Ford was on the pole for Talladega. Uh, and Joey Logano was on the pole last year when he won at Atlanta in the spring. So we know they have good power, but it's it's one of those that, you know, until they broke that, you know, that Hendrick uh, hold on the pole, you were like, yeah, is, is really anybody going to uh, to beat Hendrick? And, you know, I think the great thing about this is Joey Logano last night said it was a two-second conversation with crew chief Paul Wolf about how they're going to race the duels today, and and they're going to race. You know, Joey Logano is not a guy who's going to fall to the back and just ride around and save that bull-winning car, and they're not going to do anything crazy to wreck it. But they aren't going to go and just say, "Okay, we've got the pole, we're going to save this car." You know, they're going to go out, they're going to learn what the new Ford nose has how it will race in the draft and get ready for Sunday. So I think that'll be, it'll be fun to watch what Logano does tonight. You know, it is remarkable. The drivers who have been so accomplished and yet didn't win here 
you know, Rusty, Mark Martin, Tony Stewart. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Hasn't Kyle Busch won everything but Daytona? <laughs> yes, he has. You know, you look at the drivers who have best chances to win their first Daytona 500. You probably put Kyle Busch on top of that list, leading at mile 500 last year. Unfortunately, it was under caution, and they went back green, and he ended up uh, ended up uh, not winning the race. Obviously, Brad Keselowski, uh, I want to say, 0 for 14 in this race. And Martin Truex Jr. 0 for 19 in this race. Those guys, you know, they're they're going to be Hall of Fame drivers no matter what. But they would sure love to have that Daytona 500 win on their resume. Is Hamlin the favorite until proven otherwise? <laughs> I, I picked him to win because I think the Toyotas are going to be draft are going to be able to draft well. We'll see what happens tonight in the duels. But I I think he's got the confidence. And he obviously, having won here three times, knows how to, uh, you know, get to get to the finish line in a super speedway style racing. The one thing is, he hasn't won, I don't believe, in a next gen car on the drafting track. So, you know, the question is, is has he kind of lost a little bit of what gave him that edge? I don't think so. I, but I think we will get a good idea tonight in the duels. And Bob, finally, hate to do this to you because the meteorologists don't necessarily know what's going to happen. But uh, <laughs> as of now, the forecast for Sunday, are they talking about morning rain, but they're going to get this race in? Or is it going to be because Saturday is supposed to be a bad weather day on the east coast of Florida, and it's supposed to linger at the very least into Sunday. What's the feeling about Sunday weather-wise? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think uh, the feeling is is that you know the hope is is that if it, assuming you're probably going to get some rain on Saturday and an overnight Saturday that it clears out at some point on Sunday. Uh, you know, scheduled green flag is for 3:11 on Fox, but you know we have as people ask me we have lights here, and you know I think especially with Monday being a uh, being a holiday that you know that they would try to wait it out and get this race in on on Sunday, if at all possible. The one thing is, is that if the Xfinity or ARCA races do get postponed on Saturday, typically you would see them on a Sunday at most racetracks. Uh, I think the feeling here is, is that most likely if they don't get those in Saturday, they'll be pushed to Monday. Just too much, too many things going on for Daytona 500 Sunday to have another race on that day. Bob, stay safe, stay dry. Thanks so much for making time for us. Enjoy the week and weekend at Daytona. We appreciate your insight. Thank you, guys. Bob Pockrass of Fox. Follow him on Twix, Twitter slash X, at Bob Pockrass, P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. If uh, Hamlin wins, by the way, I, I think there's two guys, three tops that have won Daytona four or more times. I mean, it'd be rarefied air if, if Hamlin can win one more. Well, this, I mean, you don't have to be a NASCAR aficionado to know that this, you could just pick a number out of a sure. hat for this race because you just don't know. Because you know there's going to be one big wreck. You don't know if it's going to be with like, you know, 40 laps to go or if it's going to be in the final 10 laps. And I, I mean, heck, we had a race a few years ago, Mark. Didn't we have like 10 cars finish? We had two big wrecks right. down the stretch and we had like nine cars in the final lap. 
boy, I can hear it in your voice. You get so excited when we talk Daytona. I love this race. I love the restrictor plate racing. I wouldn't like it 36 times. I love the fact that we do it four. I do. Okay, it's like an accordion. You see the cars are like an accordion. I, I just, I absolutely love it. And the more that I covered the sport, the, it's amazing to me the control they have of those cars. Okay, if you think you're on somebody's bumper at I-75 doing 75 miles an hour, okay, go a buck 95, let's have 30-degree angle turns and be six inches behind them and do it for two and a half miles. Oh, for and then do it again. Yeah, for three hours. Right. I I'm sorry. It's it's whether you consider them an athlete or not. I you know I don't care about that debate. I I don't. Yeah, I've never. I mean, whatever. They're but incredibly I, I talented this. at what they do. And leave it at that. I love it. Okay, you know we got out of 36 races. We do this type of race four times. That's 11 percent of the the circuit. I'm good with that. Let's go. And by the way, you race all 200 laps. You do 500 miles. I don't care if it finishes at 1 in the morning. I don't care if it finishes at Monday. I don't care if it finishes at Wednesday. If it's the Super Bowl of racing, we race the sucker. Yeah, the ARCA races, whatever. But please. And weather expected, as David and Bob were talking about there. Saturday's supposed to be ugly across the state. Sunday, still rain expected. So hopefully they can get the race in. I'm worried. I don't think it starts on time. Put it that way. They'll get it in. It won't, I, I, I agree. So. I don't think it'll start on time. But like he brings up a good point about Monday being a holiday. Well, and if it starts late, that's okay too. As long as they get it in. I mean, primetime racing is not a bad thing. Especially with a holiday on Monday. We're going to be off Monday, by the way. Trent's not going to be here tomorrow. We're going to be off Monday. Best of show on Monday. Which, of course, begs the question, do we really have material that falls under the best of category that's really up for debate miller and molten 